Hello and welcome to Rugger Matrix International, episode 225. Ben Kimber, my co-host, good day to you. And it was close, well, for half a game, but the All Blacks won and they've got the world record for wins. Good day. Jiro, how are you, buddy? No two-hour show. I promised a two-hour show if the Wallabies won. We're going to keep it short to 30 minutes today because it was the same old result. All right. So great to see you. The strike issue of the week is coming up in a moment. But have a look between us. How about that? I haven't seen this fella for a long time when I used to be the media manager. Been at the Herald in Sydney. But Tony Johnson, rugby commentator from New Zealand. TJ, it's great to speak to you. Welcome to Rugger Matrix. Jiro, how are you, mate? Ben, good, good talking to you, fellas. All right, well, uh, I'll get to you in a moment, TJ, but Ben Kimber, your strike issue of the week. The strike issue of the week, mate, uh, brought to you by that wonderful company who uh, installs those car cradles, um, uh, is got to be Michael Checker. Now, I don't know about anyone else out there. Well, actually, I do know because we've got a hell of a lot of comments. But Michael Checker, I thought he lost the plot. I saw the, uh, I watched the game. I thought there were good things and bad things. I'm trying to work out what we'd be talking about next. The next thing, Michael Checker's press conference came on, and my goodness, I thought he's gone off the rails here. I was thinking about calling for his head. I've wound myself back a little bit from that, but really, that was an amazing press conference that I thought that was very strange in a lot of ways. Yeah, I um, I was very disappointed. I saw the uh, press conference with Steve Hansen. He came in, and pretty much the first 30 seconds, all you had to say was, yeah, that's pretty nice. And then someone threw Tony, someone threw to him, well, Michael Checker said this and this and this with the clown stuff. What was your uh, sum up? Because there's been a lot of negative talk and we've been around a lot of in, uh, trans-Tasman battles, but I'd say this is pretty much one of the nastiest and it hasn't, it didn't need to be. Yeah, I, I think that's fair enough. I, I think it is um, probably one of the nastiest things I've ever seen following a match. I mean, there's always been a fair bit of niggle. I mean, that's what makes it such a beautiful relationship, really. Um, but, but I think the disappointing thing about this was that we had a really good test match. It was a battle. I think, you know, New Zealanders would rather have an epic, close-fought battle. I don't think they'd obviously want to win it, but they, they don't want these blowouts. Um, they, they'd rather have a contest. So we had that. We had a much-improved performance by the Wallabies, really took it to the All Blacks, I think played a much more constructive game. They didn't kick the ball away this time. They, they used it pretty well. They were really taking it to the All Blacks. Obviously, they got a bad call go against them, and I guess we can talk about that. Um, and, and the All Blacks did clean out and win at the end. But, you know, so... Good contest, good performance by the Wallabies, or better performance from the Wallabies, and at the end of it, an astonishing record, a, a, a new landmark in world rugby set by the All Blacks. And none of that was being talked about the next day. It was all about this rather, I think, rather petulant, and I think at times quite delusional outburst by Michael Checker at the post-match. That has dominated everything since the test, and that's a test match and a performance by both teams that deserve better. I think you bang on the mark there, TJ, with uh, the word petulant. That was the word that really sprang to mind. And, and in reflecting on it later, you know, I think I think Checker, you know, probably overstates or overthinks his ability to manipulate the media. And I felt like it was a ham-fisted strategy. Like whether he's trying to distract from another blowout scoreline, he's lost three zip to New Zealand, he's lost three zip to England. If the if the if the intention was to distract, I think that he's done that in a very very poor fashion. But probably of more concern, if that isn't the case, if this was about him trying to, uh, if he really was thinking a lot about that bug issue from six weeks back and the fact that one newspaper in New Zealand 
who are, let's be clear, are not officially affiliated with the All Blacks organisation, if that was really on his goat to that extent, I don't think he's in any you know real position to be coaching this team well. Yeah, it, it really did seem like th this thing had been playing on his mind ever since. Um, and look, I, I think New Zealand rugby deserves some of the blame for how that issue was handled. Absolutely, that they held on to that, gave the impression that had been released strategically. And that, that was wrong. And they've copped a lot of criticism here in New Zealand for the way they handle that. But clearly that's been playing on his mind. Um, the business with the cartoon, I mean, well, I must admit when I saw it, I thought, oh, you know, let's let's not play that game. I, I thought it was a bit unnecessary, even if it was a reprisal for the, the Richardy Grubb thing that came out on the eve of the World Cup. I mean, um, but, you know, the, the thing about Michael Checker is I think when he first came onto the scene back in Australia, I think he made people in New Zealand really sit up and pay attention. I think everyone thought this is a bloke that could really go places with Australian rugby. We knew about his record offshore. Uh, he had success, obviously, with the Waratahs, um, you know, won a super rugby title, got us through to the World Cup final, a great effort. There were a couple of incidents along the way, the business with the, the, the camera operator in South Africa. Well, that didn't really, that really wasn't our concern. Um, but then there was a business with the halftime with the referee and the Waratahs game, and that, that didn't strike a very good chord. But I, I think that, you know, he built up a fair bit of respect, and people sort of certainly saw him as head of the Wallabies, as, as a bit of a threat. Um, but I'm afraid all the respect uh, and regard that's been built up over those first couple of years since being back in Australia has eroded away to the point where I, I think people have had enough of it. And, and it just doesn't seem to be, uh, there hasn't been a test match that Australia's lost that he hasn't blamed someone else for what's gone wrong. Yeah, it's not, uh, it's, it's not satisfactory, the carry-on. And it not only took away from the All Blacks' great deed, Ben, it took away from the Wallabies. Now, we've been calling for the changes, and they were much better in midfield. Bernard Foley did what Mark Ellis said he should do in this, and our listeners have picked up on it on our social media channels. A lot flatter, closer to the line, better target, but he used the ball beautifully, and Israel Folau was actually used reasonably well. Yeah. I mean, the Wallabies played their best test of the year, and I'm including their victories in that. In the, in, the way, in the game that we saw out there and the way they put it together, I thought just about every member of, of the forward pack stood up a bit more. We saw better carries. We saw a more physical game. Bernard Foley, um, I've talked before, as, you know, I think he's got his flaws as a test player, but we really didn't see that because the Wallabies didn't kick. So he, he, you know, he kept it running straight, and his straight running put more doubts in the All Blacks' defensive line. And what's more, it created that space where we see blokes like Folau and Karevi get a bit more of a chance to do a bit more. So I really thought it was their best, their best test. And you're dead right. Michael Checkin taking off on this tangent. Um, you can't talk about respect if you don't give respect. And I think to sit there after an all-black team has made a world record victory, you're in Eden Park, you're at their home ground, to not at least acknowledge that the better team won on the night, I think that was very poor and, it, and it's diminished his own team's respect as well. Yeah, Tony, what did you think of the performance by the Wallabies this time? Well, I thought it was much better. As I said before, I thought I'd, they hardly kicked the ball at all. Um, they'd probably been guilty of wayward kicking, but then most of the teams that play against the All Blacks have been in the last year or so. They kind of get frustrated with the All Black defence and end up lumping the ball away and not really gaining anything. I think they stuck to their guns. On You're, you're right about Foley. I, I thought he was a, almost a revelation. You know, I say I use the word revelation. We know how good he can be. The only thing is that it tends to be a bit erratic. 
Um, but but this time, you know, he took the ball to the line, whereas I think Quade Cooper, for all his skills and his creativity, does tend to be a bit lateral. And when you've got guys with the, the, the strike power of Hodge, who looks a tremendous prospect, Karevi, who's so powerful, the other guys, you've got to give them a bit of room to move. And, and, and Foley did that really well, breached the line. Um, so that was good. Obviously, um, you know, he's got, hopefully he'll stick with this young combination of locks because I think there's a lot of potential there, uh, but they need time together. Um, so, I, you know, I, I think a lot about it, um, you know, w- was something that I think they could be proud of. I mean, yes, in the end, it, it blew out. Um, and you could argue that, you know, that, that non-try award, you know, really damaged their hopes of pulling off a colossal upset. I, I'm I'm not so sure. I think this all-black side still in the last 10, 15 minutes of a test match is pretty much untouchable right now. But I think there were, there were signs there that if they can continue to build on this sort of performance, it's not going to be too long before they are a, a very competitive force again in international rugby. The, the, the key to it now is that they've got to be consistent, They've still got areas that need addressing. And I think the thing is now is that Michael Check has got to forget about all these peripheral issues that seem to play on his mind. And if, you know, if he focuses on the changes that, you know, can improve this team, then there's no reason why they can't be a very successful international side. Well, he raised it. TJ, he had to bring it up. It's the no try and Spate going for the corner. So um, I'm going to I'm going to go for it firstly. I didn't see the game live, so I listened to the what's the New Zealand commentary online when I got home, and I must say that uh, it was pretty fairly placed in terms of the uh, try. Maybe thought it was unfair that Spate missed out on the try, um, but uh, I believe that the letter of the law was correct and the right ruling was made and the trial was disallowed because uh, Julian Savia was uh, impeded towards his target of tackling the player. So whether or not he would have got him is a different question, but he, sh- he just, you know, the Australian player, and you're going to go through it, should not have touched him. Ben Kimber, you have a different opinion? I have a different opinion. I, you know, I thought it was a horrendous decision. Um, I honestly, you know, just to wind it back a little bit, I, I don't think it was a game-changing decision, but the important point there is we don't know, right? We don't know what would have happened. We don't know what would have happened to the Wallabies mentally if that hit the front, what would happen to the All Blacks mentally if they hadn't, uh, if, if they'd gone behind after being, you know, in a game where the Wallabies were right in it. Well, we really don't know. My guess, my heartfelt guess is that I think the All Blacks still would have won and probably won comfortably because of that, that, that burst they have at the finish, but we don't know. Now, the reason I think it's a horrendous decision is, yes, there was contact. Was it enormous contact? Was it, you know, you know, did he smash him? Absolutely not. And there's a couple of... Uh, I say it doesn't matter. Well, I say it does. And I, the one reason well, I say this, I say this, it mate, doesn't. And so does the law. No, no, I'm going to explain it to you <laughs> right why, up. though. Okay. If, you, if you roll the tape back a few seconds, <laughs> and I'm going to put up a couple of these pictures, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you'll see, you'll see um, just as Foley goes through, right, he sells the dummy to Kieran Reid, he steps through... Haylett Petty's coming through behind. Haylett Petty goes into the gap. Both Kieran Reid and Savia put a hand on him. They both impede his progress and he's bustling through, right? Yeah. And that, to me, is normal kind of contact in a game. So, so Haylett Petty has already lost a yard or so that he would have had on Savia coming through. So then he's gone back for a bit of niggle back on Savia 
and connected with the shoulder, which you're allowed to do. Might have changed his line a bit, but I don't think, again, it was the kind of contact that was outrageous. I don't think it was outrageous contact. And while the Kiwis are all shaking their head at me like TJ is, I can see, <laughs> I would also throw into this... You can come closer to the camera, TJ. It's all right. I would also throw into this that I think that if you're going to call that one, if you're going to call the one where um, Hale Petty hits uh, um, uh, Savia, then you've got to call up the other end a couple of minutes later. Yeah. Then when Foley hits Coles, right? Very similar. But I'm saying don't call any of those. That kind of incidental, not contact where you blow a bloke out of the park, let him go. This is a bloody physical game. That one on Coles was a square up. Uh, definitely, yeah. because the referee on the yeah. ground wasn't really feeling the same thing. So what, what did you think, uh, TJ? Yeah, well, I agree with uh, about 60% of what Ben said, apart from the really important bit. Um, <laughs> no, I think, I think the right decision was made. I know our guys, our, our, our commentary team, felt that it was a harsh decision. I think it's a very tough decision. But I think letter of the law, it's correct, because what's happened is that never mind what's gone on beforehand, um, that, that's sort of incidental. Um, yeah, he, he probably has been impeded getting through, but he, he had an opportunity basically to get himself between the ball carrier and the, the would-be defender. And if he'd stuck with that, he would have been all right. But as soon as he made, he initiated contact, and that I think is the key. He, he initiates the contact. It was deliberate, Tony. It was deliberate. Yeah, so the guy has got no chance. Now, you can say Henry Spate, all you like, would have had the wheels. You know, who it is is irrelevant. The fact is that because he's gone across on the angle and he has gone across the bowels of a would-be defender, he has committed an act. I'm afraid it's an act of foul play, and that, I'm afraid, is why the try was ruled out. Do you think he went across the bowels, or do you think he gave him a little shoulder tap? Oh, no, no, I think he's gone into him. I absolutely think he's gone into him. And, and um, you know, I, as I say, it's it's a tough call. And, I, look, it's a funny thing is, you've touched on it here, Jiro, um, the conduct of um, Nigel Owens was interesting because I don't think he really wanted to make the call. And he allowed, um, <laughs> no, he I think he agreed with the TMO, but he let... let um, did you listen to him? Um, did you listen to him in that Coles... Th- the Coles incident, he was oh, very quick so, to so dismiss that. As <laughs> yeah, so what's happened? He's gone, yeah, this is a really tough one here. This is going to be a huge call. So you're telling me this, you're telling me that, you're telling me this, you don't think it should be a try. So I'm putting all this on you. And then he goes down the other end and it's kind of still playing on his mind a bit. And I, I think you're absolutely right, Ben. If he'd allowed the, if he'd allowed the other try, he probably would have given the penalty try at the other end. It's still playing on his mind a bit. So in, in the end, um, you could say that it was one each way, which isn't how it should be. Uh, I agree that it was a very hard call. It was a tough call. But I think probably, letter of the law, it was the right call. And you could say the same thing about down the other end. Could have gone either way. Whether it would have altered the outcome of the game, I don't, I don't really think it would have, uh, but it certainly would have made it a whole lot more interesting going into those last, you know, yeah, it would have made minutes. it a close, yeah. It would have been a much closer test match in the later stages, but I still think the All Blacks have got the firepower at any time Australia made a mistake. And the other thing is, that the team was on fire. Sure. He was going, he was going to let that last, he was going to let that massive forward pass go right, right think, on full time. I don't think Veldsman covered himself in glory, <laughs> and I don't think Veldsman and Owens have got the greatest communication going on just quietly. Actually, I didn't. I, people were bagging Owens. I didn't have a problem with him. I thought he had a reasonable game, but I don't think he and Veldsman work well together. 
no, no, well, I don't think it's, that's it's the, the team O should have been scrubbed for the night. He did the World Cup final last year, and I thought in the World Cup final he probably could have been a lot tougher. There were quite a few high shots going in that he let go. Um, you know, he, he, he's an entertainer. He's a fantastic referee, fantastic bloke, but he is a bit of a populist, and he didn't want to be the bad guy. Um, so I was just interested in the way he, you know, he, he handled that situation. But, you know, I mean, this is what, what it's all about, these, these test matches. It's always a, a tough decision. It's part of the wonderful tapestry of the game. Um, but even that wasn't so much the topic um, in, in the post-match press conference when it, it, it might have been. As I say, it was it was even beyond that what, what, what happened. Absolutely. So the thing about um, this <laughs> test match is, with those decisions being made uh, and, and the focus going off, what well, is a wonderful record. Tony, is this side the best all-black side that's been playing with 18 victories? Um, I think it's hard to argue against. It's very difficult to judge teams from different eras because the game's being played under different laws and different conditions. I mean, you think about how uh, beautiful the surfaces are nowadays compared to like we had a, a, a great team in the late 60s that they, they went undefeated from, I think, the third test of a series against the Springboks in 1965 right through to the first test in South Africa in 1970. They didn't lose a game in that whole period of time. And in 67, 68, 69, they played some amazing rugby, but on quite heavy grounds, and there was a lot of kicking. Um, but I, I think, I don't believe that there's been a team that can play with the velocity and the skill level uh, of this team. Um, if there's been a better all-black team than this one, um, I'd, I'd sure love to watch them play. Because uh, I, 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 I think it's pretty hard to argue with it now. If you go back, you know, two World Cups, 18 test matches in a row, um, yeah, they've dropped a few games along the way, but their winning percentage is quite incredible. But as I say, I think it's it's the way they've taken skill level, fitness, speed, all that to another level that I think probably does allow them to be called the greatest. TJ, I think the, one of the issues that, that I've mentioned in the in the past, in our past shows about this is um, I just I just wonder if they're just not getting challenged as not, as much as other All Black sides have in the past ten years. You know. I've, both South Africa and Australia are not disrepair, but they're not in great nick. I think England would be happy they're not going to face them for another year. And I don't think we've seen a, a team that has been able to you know, manage its own game well enough to really take them on. Now, there's a, a bit of that is that this, they are a very strong side who push the opposition, but I still think we haven't seen great sides or solid sides really take them on. Well, I think that's fair comment, certainly in relation to what's happened this year, Ben. Um, but then you go back to last year, um, you know, they had a, an epic struggle with the, the Springboks in the semi-final of the World Cup. It was decided by just two points. Uh, you think about, you know, and we're pretty much talking the same uh, generation. You, you go back to that game in Dublin a couple of years ago where they were down out for the count and suddenly they somehow found an incredible way to win the game at the end. So I think there have been plenty of... Um, Cases And I, as I say, I think we're talking about this particular generation. I think we're talking about a three, four, five-year period, probably since um, getting the monkey off their back in 2011. I think you, you, you take the team back to then. Um, and, and, yeah, this year they haven't been challenged as much. That, um, But, again, I think that's just down to great management, that they had a succession plan. They had plans in place for post 2015, that they had guys ready to step in 
And and I think what makes this achievement all the more remarkable is you've taken 800 test caps out of this side. You've taken out some of the greatest players ever to wear the all-black jersey, McCaw, Carter, Nonu, Smith, Kevin Mialamu, guys like that. They haven't missed a beat. So, yes, there is a a bit of the other teams, I think, probably feeling that post-World Cup year down a thing starting again. Um, where the All Blacks haven't had to reboot, they've just they've just carried on. So, in in some ways, it just uh, underlines their achievement in a way. Um, you know, albeit against teams that are yeah have got a few problems at the moment. But hey, Lions series next year, they'll play England next year. There are plenty of challenges awaiting this team. Not far off. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, we've got some more things to talk about, Tony, but we have to get to our strike viewer comments of the week. And there are a whole heap of them. Ben, uh, kick us off. Um, I've, I've got the one about from Darren I want to touch on because it, sure. it has some media uh, connotations as well. But uh, go for it. Strike viewer comments of the week. Okay, I'm just going to run a few through a few names here, TJ. We've got a fantastic audience out there. We get lots of great comments on both Facebook uh, and on YouTube. So I'm just going to run through a few names. And the major comments this week were questions for you too, mate. So we'll run through a few of those. Uh, but quick shout-outs to Tangiani James, who said, Ditch the Niggle on Attitude Australia. Didn't see it with Larkham, Roth and Grigg in their day. Don't know if I'd no, entirely agree with that. Don't forget, but... <laughs> George did say, four more years, boys. Four more years. Um, Jan Christian Basson <laughs> said, it was a bad look for the refs. He thinks the 50-50s go the ways of the ABs too often. Cody Reddy um, thought Haylett Petty was a bit stupid to do what he did. Um, Dave, good enough, good comments. Christina Gush wanted us to talk about the Black Ferns and Wallaroos. We love those guys. Haven't got a lot of time to talk about them today, but I thought it was great to see them in a doubleheader, and let's yeah. see more of that. Um, uh, Eddie Kamaziswa um, said that Checker's behaviour detracted from a strong Wallabies effort, which we all agreed with, I think. Um, and Brendan Paramore said, Kiwis think your coach needs to stop whining and start winning, uh, which is probably, <laughs> I think, a little bit fair. Um End of the questions for TJ. Uh, Tony Ants Hunt asked if you could get Jiro and I a high-paid commentary gig in New Zealand. Uh, so see what you can sort out for us on that one, TJ. Um, yep. Dion Clark asked, what is the worst All Blacks performance you've ever called or commentated on? Ooh, I think probably... I think you probably go back to 2009 and a performance, I think, in Durban. They played the Springboks there... Um, that was one I was involved in. They've had, they've had a there were a couple that maybe I there was one in Johannesburg. I never made it. I got, only got as far as Perth. I got crook. I never made it the rest of the way, and they got smoked in Johannesburg. But I think that's probably that was kind of I think 2009 was the, the big turning point. They got absolutely wiped by the Springboks. Played some really naive rugby, and I, I think that was the turning point. They they that made them wake up and look at a whole bunch of issues in that team. And I don't know that they've really looked back since then. So that would that would probably be it. I think a lot of our commentators mention that era when people say, you know, we're hoping for closer games. They're saying, no, 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 let's just keep it as it is. I remember the way it was back in 09 in the days. Um, another one here, Andy Mack, who actually did a good job of posting some of the rules around uh, the Hale Petty incident, um, wanted to know, do you, we've already talked about it, was Checker justified in being upset uh, when Andy says he didn't uh, come to the uh, you know defence uh, of New Zealand during the Richie Grub uh, incident. Oh no! Look, mate, he had a World Cup final to prepare for, uh, I, I, and it was something that was going on across the other side of the world. I, I don't, I don't think uh, that's uh, that's something that he needed to trouble himself with. I, and look, I, I got to say, I, I thought that um, the Wallabies, in particular Stephen Moore, 
um, conducted themselves around that that World Cup final admirably. I'm a big fan. I think you, you know this, Juro. Um, I'm, I'm a big fan of Stephen Moore's. I know he's been through a bit of a rough time this year, but I think he's an outstanding no, he's bloke. A really good yeah, and the way he conducted himself, and and check it or agree, I think they were they were pretty fair around that. As I say, it's all just come a bit to grief this year. So uh, Darren Ormsby, a regular, has also said to us on uh, Facebook, had a question, but he just does bring in um, uh, Stephen Moore's captaincy. So, uh, which I think is under under threat in some way, just given the record. Uh, that doesn't change the fact that he's a great guy. Plenty of great guys in the game, but um, the fact that he didn't elect to go to for goal for penalty early in that first half, in the first half when they should have done it, taken the points. John Eels, on the other hand, whenever I've been involved with him, would always take the points. He would take the points with five minutes to play if he knew he could get the ball back and attack again if he had to get another five points. So there is there is a school of thought in some of the Australian players that they should take the points. I absolutely agree with Darren that the Wallabies should have taken the points and tried to accumulate the three points when they could because this is a Bledisloe Cup match. The points are like gold. Yeah, it's an interesting one. Look, Richie McCaw belonged to that uh, school of you take the points on offer, you take the three, um, and his idea was you build pressure. You build the scoreboard, no matter what the increments are, whether it's three points or five points, you're building pressure, you start making the opposition uh, chase the game and they're likely to make mistakes that you can cash in on. Having said that, I liken this to one of our Ranfurly Shield challenges in New Zealand, where you've got to go out and win the thing. Um, obviously, in Ranfurly Shield, there's a, there's a big prize at stake in this one. They were playing for a lot of prize. I think in a situation like that, Look, you got to go for it. You've got to come out with something extraordinary. I wouldn't blame the guy for, for, for going for the five in a situation like that. But in most cases, I think um, I, I think the top captains, they have an innate sense of, of where the momentum in the game is. If, if, if it's a case of you're really getting on top and they're about to crack, then okay, you go for the jugular. But for the most case, I think certainly the Richie McCall philosophy is you take the points. And, and you you build the pressure. But, man, it's a damned if you do, damned if you don't scenario. And I, I don't know whether anyone's got the perfect answer to it. I've got an answer for you, TJ. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm saying I'm really pleased they went the line because um, in previous shows I've been in danger of turning the show into the why the hell can't the Wallabies kick for the line and kick goals show. Um, I get really upset about the quality of kicking in Australia and I think the ones they knock back were about 40 out and about 10 or 15 in, right on the edge of Bernard Foley's range. Reese Hodge, is, is, he's got the power. He hasn't got the direction yet. If you had Dan Carter or Johnny Wilkinson sitting in there, I'd say take the points. But with these guys, they went the line, I think, because so you wouldn't go with Hodge? The, certainty, the certainty just isn't there in the three points like other teams, and it hasn't been since Matt Burke for the Wallabies team. Mm, well, even Berkey was uh, falling off towards the end. Um, no, I, I don't know. I think they, if it's um, a chance, give the ball to Hodge and belt it over. Um, at least uh, when the All Blacks get it back, they're not uh, in your 22. But it doesn't really matter. They just absolutely light you up. Um, so uh, have you got any other questions there, mate? No, no, that was all the questions, mate. Can I just say, I want to just give uh, a wrap a to your players, uh, TJ. One of the unsung heroes, I think, and, and I ran into a good mate of ours in... Uh, uh, San Francisco last week. He's a listener originally from New Zealand and uh, he and I had a couple of beers and whiskeys <laughs> over there. But we had a really good chat 
And uh, we talked about, you know, what are your favourite players? And he said to me, oh, you like Ben Smith, don't you? And I said, oh, does that come across? <laughs> but what he did with his feet the other night that electrified the test is just amazing. Like, hasn't he just killed it at 15? Yeah, the funny thing about Ben Smith is that I don't think he was ever earmarked for great things. I mean, some. I mean, I remember when Steve Hansen uh, said to me one time, way back, it must have been uh, early in the new uh, millennium, he said, uh, we were talking about some of the new young flankers coming around. He said, you have a look at this bloke we've got in the reserves tonight. He'll be the best of a lot of them. And this is Richie McCaw, who he's picked out of school. But that, that's kind of like, um, you know, guys are earmarked. Ben Smith kind of wasn't one of those players. And he's quite a late bloomer. He's 30 now. But he is extraordinary. But I think the thing, I think the other thing about this team, um, obviously they've learned a hell of a lot from past mistakes. Um, but I, I think the, their fitness is, is one of the things that's setting them apart at the moment. And if I might just offer up one yeah. other thing too, where I think there's a big difference between where the Wallabies are at at the moment and where the All Blacks are and have been for the last few years. It's in that ability to transition defence into attack. Um, and, and Wayne Smith has this role where he's not just the defence coach. He's actually the coach in charge of uh, initiating counterattack and, as I say, transitioning defence into attack. So their whole defence is set up in such a way that when they get a turnover or the opposition get frustrated and kick the ball away or if a mistake is made, they are in the best position to capitalise on it. And I just don't see at the moment that Australia, the way they set up... Uh, uh, perhaps in a position to do that, simply because it seems to be guys are being hidden on defence and so key guys you need for your counter-attack aren't there because they've been out on the wing or something like that. Um, and I just think that's probably one of the big challenges for this Australian team is that a great player uh, in, in the making in, in Israel for a lethal attacking weapon, but you just haven't seemed to have found the best way of utilising his talents. And I think it, 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 a lot of it goes back into the way they kind of uh, when they receive the ball or get a turnover or something, they're just not quite well set up to transition defence and attack. And I think, if, if, you know, that is one of the biggest differences between the two sides at the moment. And Ben Smith, as you're getting back to your original point, um, he is kind of like the the, the, the linchpin of the whole thing. He, his, his bringing the ball out of the how I used to play for Inverell. Yeah, yeah, I heard, <laughs> I heard. <laughs> All right, we've got three minutes left, and I know, Tony, we've got to get a plug-in for you, but Ben? Just just two things on that, Tony, and I think that was an excellent point made, and, and I actually would like to backtrack on something I said on our last show when, when I said I wasn't convinced that the fitness was an issue. After this game, I am. That last 15 minutes, Hallelujah. I think, when, when, Hooper, when, Hooper got, uh, when he got done by Sevilla, you, you wind the tape back about 30 seconds, you'll see that, that Hooper is wandering back in defence. Haylett Petty was walking with the ball. And at that last five minutes, it really did look to be the case. And the other thing you said, which I think is really insightful, and, and, and one of the things that I really spotted in this game too, is we keep cutting to the you know, checker in the, in the coach's box, and he's up on his feet, and he's screaming, and he's carrying on. And then you cut to the All Blacks box, and not just the attitude, but you can see Hanson's there, and he's got Smith here, and he's got Foster there. I think checker is looking too much like he's one out. Um, at most of the time, and it doesn't feel like he's getting enough support yeah. or, or he's allowing enough support to drive this Wallabies team any differently than he is. And it really shows when you see that combo and the way Hanson took over from Henry and the guys that are around him that you don't see in the Wallabies setup. All right, I'll take that as a statement, and uh, <laughs> but I will agree with you. The most important thing, when you're the leader and in charge, you have to, even if it's going pear-shaped, you have to make sure everyone thinks it's all good. And that means calmness under un, 
against yep. overwhelming odds, and that's what the Australian coach should do. All right, TJ, we're going to let you go. We've got got a minute to go. But, mate, um, what have you got going? you got some uh, trips overseas and got a book too. Yep, yep. I'm fortunate enough. Um, I'm off to Chicago uh, this time next week, uh, calling the Māori All Blacks against the USA. Then we've got uh, All Blacks against Ireland uh, in Chicago. Then uh, it's Rome, Dublin, Paris, and I'm doing Dubai Sevens on the way home. But... Um, just before I go, guys, if I could just get a little plug for this. Thanks for having me on, by the way. I've really enjoyed it. But this is uh, a book that's coming out um, in the next week called Behind uh, the Silver Fern that I've co-written with a guy called Lynn McConnell, a very uh, uh, highly regarded New Zealand journalist. It's, it's the story of the All Blacks going right back to the beginning, um, as told by the players. We've done over 50 interviews, sourced a lot of interviews from archive material, and it's basically... It's the history of all black rugby as told by the players. And I just you, you brought to mind a comment that Richie McCaw made about this calmness thing. And he says in this book, most important thing in a pressure situation, stay calm, especially me. I've got to stay calm. So, um, yeah, lots of stories in there. And you can get it on Amazon or, or Mighty Ape or one of the online things. So thanks for allowing me to plug, guys. And fantastic talking to you. Juro, you haven't aged a bit, mate. Since I saw it last saw you. <laughs> You're one of the calmest blokes we've ever known in the Comrie box. Uh, Tony Johnson, thanks for joining us, mate. Cheers, guys. There he is. TJ joining us from New Zealand tonight. Ben Kimber, thanks for coming in. Thanks, Jerry. We've got to go, but uh, we're wearing these little earpieces here so we can speak to TJ. So it's not just a fashion thing, but I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, very nice, right. mate. Work. Ben Kimber, Tony Johnson. I've been Juro Sin. Hope you enjoyed the show. Till next week. Enjoy your rugby. Congratulations, New Zealand. World record wins.